listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Brexit. What a pass to Anders. A king follow. Toy Branch fires. He converts. Rhymes again. And I'm your second host, Justin Barbosa, and you can find me on Twitter at jbarbosa underscore 95. And be sure to follow the official Clutch City Control Room account at Clutch City CR, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. And Justin, it's good to be back on the podcast. I had to take last week off due to, to the Daily Cougar stuff. And uh, this week, obviously, we don't have Tamer with us. She's going to be busy doing uh, stuff for the University of Houston women's basketball team. So uh, it's just going to be you and me here for this episode. Uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, we're going to finish up, wrap up our, our predictions or our preview of the American Athletic Conference. Two episodes before, we were discussing the, the conference predictions by CBS Sports. And we have four teams left to clean up um, with South Florida, Central Florida, Eastern Carolina, and Tulane. So, I mean, we'll jump right into it, and then we'll talk a little bit more of, of more NCAA stuff in, in our other segment. But uh, we'll jump right into it right now with, with South Florida, the preview, CBS preview. CBS Sports has the, the South Florida Bulls at number four in the American Athletic Conference, their preseason predictions. Um, Last season, the Bulls finished 14-17 and 17 overall in their season, 7-11 against the American Athletic Conference. Against the University of Houston, the Bulls went 0-2. Uh, and I'll never forget the first meeting uh, was on January 26th. It was a 68-49 to 49 victory for Houston, but, you know, that was also the, the day where, uh, you know, the tragic accident with uh, Kobe Bryant in his helicopter. Uh, I, I don't know if you, if you don't mind if I go into a tangent a little bit, but yeah, I'll never forget that day. Um, it was, it was. I think it was a one o'clock tip-off game or around noonish, and you know, whenever I get to to the Fertitta Center, the way I had my setup for this season, I had my laptop on TweetDeck, and yeah, I'm not sure if, if our listeners are familiar with TweetDeck or, or or the setup, but the way TweetDeck works, it's like four different columns, and in the columns you can see your timeline, and you can see what's trending. And I'll never forget for this game, it was probably like towards the middle of the first half, towards the end, you, know, you just see Kobe trending. And, you know, when I first saw it, I thought it had to do with the day before because um, this game was on a Sunday. The day before was Saturday where the Lakers had just finished beating uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. And I think LeBron James had passed uh, Kobe for in the all-time scoring list. So that night before I, his name was trending because of LeBron who passed him. So when I first saw that trending, I thought that's the reason for it. And, you know, I, I don't know, for some reason during the timeout, I just clicked on it and I started getting all the, you know, reading all the news and all the speculation about the helicopter crash. And, you know, um, when I first read that, it was just, I'll never forget that feeling. Like it was numb. My stomach went numb and you know, it was really, really hard to focus on, on the rest of the game. And, 
I'll never forget that you know, post game, Kelvin Sampson walked into the to the media where they do the news conferences after the game, and just like first thing he said, like not even a question, he went talking about Kobe Bryant, and he mentioned the story about how Kobe welcomed him to the league when he first joined the NBA. I think he was an assistant for the Spurs, and he he talked about how Kobe went up to him and and said, "Coach, welcome to the league," just unprovoked, like he just went up to Kelvin Sampson and he told him that and. You know, obviously, after when more details started coming out, you know, there was a U of H connection to that helicopter crash, too, with, with the Alcibelli family, and it was just um, just a shocking day. And, yeah, I went on this long tangent, but it was the same day, the first meeting where, where South Florida and Houston played um, last season. And then, um, you know, it's hard to transition into, into our, our predictions here, but the second meeting came a few days after that on February 12th. Um, it was another Cougars win in, in South Florida, uh, U of H won 62 to 58. Um, I, I went on a tangent again, but going back to that first game, you know, the, the Bulls were led by LaQuincy Rideau and, and David Collins all year last season. Um, and U of H did a really good job at stopping their backcourt defensively when they came down here and they played at Fertitta Center. I know in the first meeting, Rideau was held to four points on two for seven shooting, and, and David Collins was held to only five points. They combined for nine points on three of 13 shooting. I mean, that's tremendous defense. And then in the second meeting, when the Cougars went up there and played in South Florida, they, uh, Rideau had a little bit of a better game, 21 points. Collins had 13 points, too. Um, and Rideau, obviously, is one of the key losses when you talk about the Bulls. He, he was a senior. He graduated. He averaged 12.6 points a game for them, which was second for, for USF. 4.4 rebounds. Uh, he led the team in assists with 4.2, and he also led them in steals with 2.5. So that's going to be a big loss for them. But a key returner, obviously, is going to be David Collins, who, who was the leading scorer for them last year, averaged 13.7 points a game. Uh, when, when U of H played them uh, a few days before the first meeting in January, Kelvin Sampson talked about how Collins and Rideau were kind of like, if you were to, to talk about it in football terms, they were kind of like pullbacks because they were so physical and they're great defenders. And uh, I have a direct, comfort, a direct quote from Kelvin Sampson where he calls uh, Collins, it's kind of a tailback playing two guard, just how big and how physical he is. One of the additions when it comes to USF is, is a guard, Caleb Murphy. He, he, was number, he was ranked number 72 by ESPN in the ESPN's top 100. He's a four-star prospect, according to Rivals, um, to Rivals.com. He's the he's highest-rated highest player ever to sign with South Florida. And he's, when he's coming into the Bulls, he certainly knows a lot about winning. 32 in record as a, 30 and 2 record as a senior, and he led his team to the Georgia State Championship. He was runner-up, so they got into the championship game before they fell. So certainly he has a lot of, a lot of potential for the Bulls, and certainly brings a lot of pedigree with him from high school. Yeah, usually uh, the Cougars don't really have much trouble with the Bulls, especially the last couple of years, but it seems like the Bulls are trying to make that big jump, trying to get into the American contention for this upcoming season. And also back to Kobe Bryant, I was actually at that game as well. And I just remember looking down at my phone and just being in complete shock. And I just remember the whole mood of Toyota or Fertitta Center after halftime was just completely quiet. It just didn't have the same energy. Everybody was just in shock. Like, I just remember the arena just being more quiet and the mood just drastically changed. But back to USF, obviously trying to make more moves to try to get into contention for the American 
and we'll see how they do next season. No, absolutely. And, you know, we go back to, to the Kobe thing. I absolutely agree with you where the, the vibe and Fertitta soon just completely change. And it's funny you mentioned that because when I, when I, whenever I was there at the game, you know, I wasn't sure if it was just me that felt that. So it's kind of interesting to hear you talk about that. And, you know, it's just difficult. It's just really, this is the beginning of 2020 and just like how everything's turned out this year. It just, it was certainly unexpected and it was just a, a horrible, horrible accident. It kind of set the tone for the year, really. I mean, things didn't improve much after, after January and just, just sad the way everything turned out. And, you know, like Kelvin Sampson said it after the game, he called Kobe an icon. He was certainly this generation's icon because, you know, everyone knows Kobe. Whenever you're a little kid and you shoot, you shoot trash into a basket, first thing you yell is Kobe. Or whenever you're shooting, you're playing in a, in a gym or somewhere and you shoot a tough shot, first thing you say is Kobe. So it's still, it's still kind of baffling, really, whenever you turn on a game and you listen to the commentators mention Kobe and they always have to say late Kobe Bryant before they mention a stat. And it's just mind-boggling to me how, how sudden it was. And, but really, it's, it's been a while, too. It's been – we're already in September. It's been eight months since the, the accident. And it seems – I don't know for you, but it just seems like it's been, it's been a long time ago. It's just how long this year has been. Yeah, it's just been a, just an absolute crazy year, and uh, I just hope we can get past this year soon into 2021 and just hope things can improve around the world. But, yeah, back to Kobe Bryant. Uh, it was just complete shock because usually Fertitta Center is always rocking, and then once it hit that second half, the mood's just completely different. And I couldn't imagine, you know, how those players felt after the game. And like you said, when Kelvin Sampson came into the locker room, yeah, Kelvin talked about it, how the mood had changed for the, for the team. And he he didn't know why at the moment during the game. But, you know, after the game, he, he talked about it. And so just again, it's just – it seemed so unreal what happened and how fast it happened. Like I said, it just kind of set the tone for the whole year. But, um, you know, as we transition back to, to the Bulls here, um, you know – CBS Sports ranked them to finish number four in, in the conference. Um, do you agree with that? Do you think they're too high, too low? What do you think? I would say uh, I would say middle of the pack, maybe four to five to six around that area. But with the talent they got coming in, like you said, the four-star, I think could really help to improve the team. Huh? I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if uh, USF would finish around, you know, four or five next season. Certainly, like I said, they're bringing back David Collins, and he's really going to be the, the leader for the team. And the, the way that he leads will be, you know, on the defensive end, how physical he is. And they're going to be a tough challenge every time any, any team faces them. And, you know, a lot of it's still uncertain whether they play in a bubble setting or they play in uh, where they get to play spread out. Um, but I think this team will be a, a, a headache for, for top teams in the American Athletic Conference and really top teams non-conference games if they do have non-conference because especially if it's in a bubble setting, I mean, the way the Bulls play physical, they grind out the games. It's low scoring, um, like when U of H played them in South Florida, 62-58. It's those grinded out games. and In a neutral setting, that's certainly going to favor the Bulls. They don't have to worry about road crowds that could 
help the home team and give them the extra spark. And whenever it's those grinded out games and it's a neutral setting, it's certainly going to be in favor of the Bulls. So I could totally see them finishing number four in the conference or even, you know, ups, you know, surprising folks and finishing a little bit higher. Absolutely. And the next team we're going to talk about is the East Carolina Pirates. As they finish 11-20 and 20 overall, 5-13 and 13 American finishing 11th in the conference. And Pirates not really a good season. The key losses they have this year is uh, they're losing senior Seth Leday, who was a forward, averaged 8.7 points a game and four rebounds. But the biggest return that's coming back is sophomore Jane Gardner, who's going into his junior year, gave the Cougars trouble as he averaged 19.7 points and 9.2 rebounds this past season. And actually against the Cougars, U of H had a handful as Gardner finished with 29 points and 19 rebounds on 11 of 19 shooting. And then we got freshman Tristan Newman coming back, who averaged 11 points, 4.5 rebounds a game, and 3.7 assists a game. And they also got some uh, key recruits coming in. Three-star point guard Noah Farragin, who shot 34% from three and 46% from the field. And two-star center Derek Kwanzaa. And as you know, the Pirates in 2018 and 2019 – U of H just blew them out both games by at least 30, 40 points. And the game got really testy both those games with ejections and a lot of technicals. This past year, it was pretty different because the Pirates gave UH a tough game, especially with Gardner giving UH fits. And the Pirates actually have a lot of their roster coming back, plus the new recruits. I think I expect ECU to make a little bit of a jump into the American this season. Yeah, CBS has them ranked number nine uh, for their preseason ranking. So, you think that's too low? I think so. Uh, I think they're going to surprise people this upcoming season. I think maybe around maybe the fifth to sixth spot. But I, I definitely see some improvement, especially with uh, Gardner and Newman leading the way. Oh, absolutely. When it comes to Jaden Gardner, you know, I, you know, there's people there that would argue that Jaden Gardner was right up there last season with Precious Achua as you know top players in the American Athletic Conference. And now that, that Precious is gone, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how he steps up uh, heading into this season. And certainly the title's there to see if he could take uh, the title of best player in the American Athletic Conference. And I agree, he certainly gave uh, U of H a lot of problems last season. But um, when it comes to the Pirates in general, there are a lot of inconsistencies when it comes to the roster besides, you know, outside of Gardner. And that's really what, what uh, bothered them last season and, you know, stopped them from from getting more wins. And just when it comes to, to this year where it'll be the same thing I kind of mentioned with the Bulls when it's a, the non-conference setting, it, it might be a little bit uh, difficult for, for the other guys in the Pirates to have good games in a, in a neutral zone environment. So, so they're going to be an interesting team to watch. Um, I think where, where CBS has them ranked um, is about right, considering that they they need to prove themselves. But like you said, I could easily see them be a middle-of-the-pack conference team or, or, you know, give some problems to top teams in the American Athletic Conference. As long as they have, as long as they have Gardner, uh, that's going to be possible, and they're never going to be out of the game. Absolutely. And in that game against uh, the Pirates this past season, Caleb Mills had 18 points and. Quentin Grimes ended up having 15 points that game. Well, I definitely see the Cougars having a tougher matchup this upcoming season with ECU. 
Coming right up, we finish up the American Athletic Conference preseason predictions by CBS Sports, the UCF Knights, and the Tulane Green Wave. And we go over some NCAA news and a recent trademark they filed. And we are back for the second half segment of Pod Slamajama, presented by Clutch City Control Room. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and drop a review or leave us some stars. Yeah, let's get right back into it with the uh, American Athletic preseason predictions by CBS Sports. Number eight comes in the UCF Knights. They finished last season 16-14 and 14 with a 7-11 conference record against the University of Houston. They only played one time, and U of H won that meeting 78-63. The first conference game for the Cougars last season, a uh, key loss for the Knights heading into the 2020-21 season is going to be Dayson Ingram. A guard, he led the team in rebounding with 6.9 rebounds and 3.8 assists. Both led the team, and he averaged 8.3 points a game. Something about the American Athletic Conference and guards leading the team in rebounding. Um, a key returning player for, for the Knights is forward Colin Smith. He led the team in scoring last season with 12.6 points a game, and he was second on the team with rebound with 6.3. Uh, when it comes to key additions, forward Isaiah Adams. Actually, the Knights are led by a couple of four-star recruits uh, into their 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 additions this season. Uh, both four-star recruits by ESPN. Uh, we'll start first with forward Isaiah Adams. He's six six. Um, he actually the award he got. He got the best high school player in the state of Florida. He's a Florida four A player of the year for back-to-back seasons. He averaged twenty-three point seven points. 11.1 rebounds, 2.9 block shots, 2.2 assists his senior season. So he's certainly going to come into the Knights, and he's going to be looking to make a, a immediate impact. And the same can be said for forward Jameel Reynolds, another four-star recruit by ESPN. He's 6'9". He averaged 17 points a game and 16 rebounds, shot 70% from the field. So a couple of lengthy forwards for the Knights, and they're certainly going to give the Cougars trouble uh, heading into the 2020-21 season. What can you expect about the Knights, uh, Justin? Well, I expect them to take a little bit of a step forward. Like you mentioned, the two recruits that are coming in could make an immediate impact. And, uh, of course, this past season they took a little step back after losing Taco Fall to the NBA after making a tournament run. But I expect UCF to improve in uh, maybe around a couple spots, maybe maybe the seven spot, six, seven spot, make a little bit of improvement, but – I think the Knights probably have to get a little bit more recruits and maybe within a year or two, they'll have a more competitive edge. For sure. And uh, obviously they're led by Johnny Dawkins. And, you know, when Kelvin, when the Cougars played them early in January, Kelvin Sampson had a lot of praise for Johnny Dawkins. And uh, it's a shame that this season it'll probably be a, uh, when they do play, it'll probably be in a bubble type of setting. And uh, I guess it's kind of a little bit of a teaser for what we're going to, uh, later on in the show but uh, just that bubble setting it it's going to be uh interesting to see how UCF responds um like I said they're probably going to have a lot of expectations for these two incoming uh forwards and it'll be interesting to see how they adjust um obviously uh, Kevin Sampson last year the Cougars a big part of the Cougars um offense last year were two freshmen as well and and Caleb Mills, who was a redshirt uh, or half a redshirt, he joined in, in January of 2019. And Marcus Sasser, who was a true freshman. So the Cougars know a little bit about uh, having freshman leaders um, on the team, but 
it certainly takes a while for them to to adjust to to playing at a higher level and it's going to be interesting to see how these two adjust if it is in a neutral type of environment where they don't have the home crowd to feed off of yeah that's the thing we could definitely go into uh because uh with this bubble yeah it's a much different especially for these newcomers like they expect the big crowds the great atmosphere and they're coming into the bubble with probably either complete silence or artificial crowd noise I don't know how the NCAA is going to do it. It's, oh, man, artificial crowd noise is not going to be uh, – I don't know. I don't know how that will work for, for college. In fact, I don't, I'm not even entirely sure how it works um, in the NBA. If they do put artificial crowd – I know they put the sound effects, the artificial sound effects, like if they were in their home. Like with, when the Rockets are there, when they play a home game, they put like the, the sound effects that you'd hear at Toyota Center. Um, that's going to be interesting. And they'll probably do a lot of the uh, – zoom fans i'm guessing if it's a true type of bubble setting or who knows maybe uh maybe it'll look a little different for college now we're going to talk about the Tulane green wave finished 12 and 18 last year four and 14 in the american finishing 12th in the conference under first year head coach ron hunter although the 12 and 18 record doesn't look good Tulane made a big jump last season after going four and 27 in 2018 2019 probably one of the worst teams in college basketball. And eight-game improvement, I say Ron Hunter has Tulane going into the right direction, definitely a rebuild. And the key losses for the Green Wave are, unfortunately, this is not going to be a good story, is Deshaun Hightower, guard last year, to average 15.9 points a game, 4.6 rebounds, and 2.4 assists. He declared for the draft. That was the first reason he was leaving. But what happened after – was just not good at all. He was arrested and charged with an alleged murder, and Tulane dismissed him, so he will not be back and probably not be back playing basketball, whatever happens in trial. And they're also losing senior guard Christian Thompson, who averaged 14 points a game and 6.3 rebounds and 2.8 assists, and then senior Nick Thomas, who averaged 7.9 points off the bench. Now, the key returns for Tulane is going to be forward K.J. Lawson, who had 13.1 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 2.2 assists per game. And sophomore guard Jordan Walker, who averaged only eight points, but I think will fill a big spot after the guard Hightower is not on the team anymore. Now, for Tulane in the recruiting department, their ranking is seventh and 93rd in the nation as they got – Jaden Coleman coming in from Alabama, and then Sion James, a three-star from Georgia, as Coleman was a three-star as well. And Ron Hunter is really going hard in the transfer department. They got Kevin Cross coming in from Navy, Jaden Forbes coming in from Alabama, who's a shooting guard, and a four-star. Then they got Gabe Watson coming in from, I believe, Southern Miss. And then you got Oton Jakovic coming in from Vanderbilt, who's a three-star and a power forward. And then you got 6'2 shooting guard Ryan Murphy coming from Pittsburgh, who's a three-star. So I can say uh, Ron Hunter is really trying to forward the progress that Tulane has made so far in his first year and trying to get him to be competitive within the next couple of years and on a fast pace. But a lot of moving pieces, a lot of time to get chemistry and like you said, they lose Christian Thompson, who averaged 14.1 points a game and 6.3 rebounds. And then 
Also, Nick Thomas, who averaged eight points a game. That's a lot of points coming off the board. So I would expect maybe maybe around the same record for Tulane next season. Maybe add a couple more wins, 14, 13 wins. But I don't think too much will change. But Ron Hunter's really trying to get this Tulane program on the right track, especially after finishing, you know, really bad 4-27 and record before he came on the campus in 2018-2019. And this past season, U of H went 1-0 against Tulane this season at Fertitta Center back on February 6th with a 75-62 win at Fertitta Center. And real quickly with the time, with the amount of time we have left, I'm going to segue into really the news that we've been teasing throughout the entire show. And that's some NCAA news. And uh, I know Chris Gardner kind of dropped it on us a couple of episodes back. But uh, on August 26th, the NCAA officially trademarked uh, Battle in the Bubble. So it certainly looks like um, the NCAA is going to move in the direction of, you know, at least having March Madness in a bubble type of setting. Obviously, um, you know, we've seen the NBA and WNBA and MLS and, and other leagues kind of have success with it. Um, and another CBS report, um, according to, to this report, the Men's and Women's Basketball Oversight Committee will propose a start date of November 25th to the Division One Council for the 2020-21 college basketball season. So it certainly looks like they're trying to, to push back the start of the season towards that Thanksgiving week. And uh, really from, from what I've gathered talking to other, other uh, sources, it, it looks like that's kind of the window they're trying to get things in. Um, really a lot, a lot still undecided when it comes to how that will work out, but it kind of looks like the NCAA is aiming for that window between Thanksgiving and Christmas where campuses are, for the most part, going to be empty of, of regular students. And it's really just going to be a chance for student athletes to kind of be in their own little bowl, even if it is in the university. Um, obviously, they're not going to have to deal with as many interactions once the break happens. Um, and I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit, Justin, um, after this. But really, something we didn't get to talk to when Chris Gardner brought, brought the attention first. I'll throw to you, Justin, first. What do you think about the NCAA trademarking battle in the bubble? And second, uh, what do you think some drawbacks would be of seeing this um, college athlete in a bubble setting? I'm actually surprised the NBA actually didn't go with that trademark, but pretty smart for the NCAA to go after it. <laughs> but, of course, in these times, I mean, the bubble's probably a pretty good idea. I think it might be a little tougher for the players because – you know, they're going into a new setting. They're not actually on campus anymore. And who knows what's going to happen with them and their families, especially these new players coming out of high school that got recruited. It's going to be a lot different for them because they're expecting, you know, big crowds, the atmosphere, you know, just the overall college experience. But they're coming to this compact bubble where they're going to stand for the next, you know, few months till March Madness. It's going to be a tough transition. I mean, is there going to be artificial sounds like the NBA? Is there going to be video screams for their fans? It's it's going to be very different for college. Yeah, um, a little clarification when it when it comes to bubble. Uh, what I've heard or what I've heard other people tell me, uh, it won't be like uh, entirely like uh, an NBA type of bubble where students are. You know, they go to a location, they're locked down for, for like a month or two. It, it is going to be short, um, I think. You know, when Chris Gardner was here, he kind of described it as 
bubble pods. Um, so the way that would work, like I know when it comes to Houston, they're discussing of having a, a tournament that would be at Toyota Center and inviting anywhere from 20 to 32 colleges. And uh, I think the, the, the targeted date would be December 8th. And uh, it would be like non-conference games where, you know, the 20, 32 colleges are invited and, you know, however, however join, um, you know, it, it would be like a weekend bubble where, where teams come down here. Um, in this case, uh, for Houston, they stay here for the weekend and then they'd go back to their, their home school, like universities and they'd isolate in their dorms. Um, but like you said, it is going to be a little bit, um, weird for these athletes to have to adjust to, you know, being away from their families, especially if it's during that window of Thanksgiving and Christmas where, you know, on a normal year, they get to go home and kind of, you know, be with their families, even if it's for a little bit. Um, I know when last season, uh, the U of H men's basketball team got to go to Hawaii for, for Christmas break. Um, it wasn't really a break, uh, you know, because they're playing a tournament. Uh, and Kelvin, Kelvin Sampson, I, uh, when it was the Hawaii tournament, said, "We don't get Christmas off. We're always we're always playing on Christmas." Um, so you know, it's a little bit tricky when it comes to athletes. Um, but just you know, that time where they usually get to spend, even if it's a day or two, where they get to go home and spend time with their families, not having that this year could certainly affect them mentally and. Um, we've seen it in the NBA bubble, you know, athletes struggle. I know Paul George recently opened up about it. Um, I'll read a direct quote from Paul George that he said about a week ago after, you know, the Clippers had lost to the, to the Mavericks and Paul George had been struggling. And uh, actually this quote came after the game five win um, where Paul George opened up about his mental health. And, you know, I'll read it directly. Um, and I quote, I underestimated mental health, honestly. I had anxiety and a little bit of depression being locked in here in the bubble. I just wasn't there. I checked out, end quote. And, uh, you know, I have other quotes from other leagues and with the National Women's Soccer League. I have a, um, I actually have a quote from the Houston Dash head coach, James Clarkson. Um, you know, he talked about it and I quote, I underestimated how much the mental load, the mental load would take on us the staff, the players, everybody, my family, I miss them dearly. It's tough. And when you go through all the emotions of what we're going through with the game, it's incredibly hard getting a balance. It's vitally important. Unfortunately, we can't go anywhere to break the mon monotony End quote. And, um, you know, from these quotes, um, you know, when it comes to athletes, and I know these are professionals, so, you know, you'd expect them to be able to handle their emotions of, you know, the highs and lows of the game. Uh, I know, especially right now in the bubble with the playoffs, I'm, I can't imagine how the players feel after they lose a game, you know, all that emotion, but to not be able to escape and kind of be in work mode all the time, I'm sure it's draining. And, you know, it's going to be certainly something to watch with college athletes, um, especially in this day and age where a lot is more, um, when it comes to interactions, is a lot more different with this generation it's certainly going to be something to watch for if they go with a with a long-term bubble even if it is for just a main march madness tournament where all the teams have to go to a certain location it could be draining for them yeah i agree i mean for someone who also uh deals with anxiety i mean i couldn't uh imagine you know being an athlete being stuck in a room for a couple months in a new environment and just you know just the main duty every day is just to play basketball and 
work as basketball and train for basketball, you know, 24-7. Absolutely. And I hope that uh, these colleges, um, you know, whether they have a, you know, counseling or, or, you know, a psychiatrist on staff, you know, whether it's the assistant coaches, like add them to the coaching staff and have someone that that'll be there for, you know, for specifically to help them with this type of, these type of issues. Um, I certainly hope that that's something that the basketball teams, these college basketball teams invest in. And, um, you know, I know we're running out of time. So Justin, I'll let you have the final word, but, you know, I just hope that it's something that they don't brush under everything else. Cause I know trying to coordinate all this is certainly going to be hard, but I just hope that they also emphasize mental health. Yeah, for sure. I hope they, uh, had some, you know, counselors, you know, therapists in there so the players can talk to for whatever they're going through if they have tough times in the bubble. You know, something to get their mind, you know, just off basketball and kind of let their mind free a little bit. Absolutely. And uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll have Tamer back for our next episode. Um so if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdown, analysts, speculation, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description to check out one of our monthly patron subscription options. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back on our next episode of Pod Slamajama covering your University of Houston Cougars. Real quick, Justin, Rockets, Thunder, Game 7. Uh, this podcast will go air tomorrow, so I know uh, Claire City Control Room is going to be filled with podcasts either breaking down a, a series with the Lakers or, or or being extremely sad and breaking down offseason moves. Justin, who do you have Game 7 real quick? I got the Rockets. I hope it's a nice, smooth blowout win. Go on, play Lakers. Oof. I'm still on the fence. Uh, I think I, ooh, I, the Rockets are certainly the better team in my opinion. Uh, but I think if it's a close game, I'd have to go with the Thunder. If it's a, if it's not a close game, I'll go Rockets. I'm kind of hedging. If I had to bet, I'll go Thunder. I'll go Thunder in seven. Uh, <laughs> so this podcast is on Thursday. So, well, uh, you, you, the audience will certainly know which one of us was right, but. They're about to play tip-offs at 8 o'clock. We'll see how it happens. And like I said, um, make sure you listen to the rest of these podcasts on Clutch City Control Room, the Rockets Launchpad podcast. They'll certainly be covering whatever happens in Game 7. And all things Houston Rockets, make sure you check them out. And once again, thank you for listening to Pod Slamajama, your home for the University of Houston Cougars.